0: This week on Dig Me
1: Out.
0: With your hosts, Jason Diaz and Tim Manici.
1: Jay, tell me, this week, are you wearing sensible shoes?
0: (laughs) The ones that'll lead me back to you, Tim. (laughs)
1: Tell the truth, Jay. The reason I ask is because this week we're taking a we're taking a um. It's gonna say a little dogtown shuffle, but I'm just gonna stop with all the uh, <laughs> oh
0: jeez. Yeah, let's,
1: Jay. Thanks to Tim. Our, it's our, showtime.
0: It's showtime.
1: <laughs> Keep going on, go
0: on all that with us.
1: Yeah, exactly. Let's just get to the point. Joining us for uh, the other, the other side of the planet via the miracle of the internet and satellite technology Uh, our friend gavin reed is joining us from australia where it is winter yet it is 73 degrees which the
2: other side of the world is so weird but uh welcome gavin thanks guys um yeah it's um i think you've almost reviewed the whole album just in a series of puns and entendre there so well done (laughs) And the album that you suggested that we need to
1: check out is the 1991 David Lee Roth solo album, his third, "A Little Ain't Enough." So, Gavin, why pick this record?
2: Well, his first two albums were pretty big, you know. After the whole Van Halen thing, "Eat um, 'Em and Smile" was massive with "Yankee Rose" and all the rest of it, um, and then "Skyscraper" was pretty well attended as well. And then all of a sudden, this came out and just just disappeared no, no one really heard it and this is a to me this is a great album and this is right in the in the sweet spot for dave in my opinion um this is where he does his best work he's not an amazing singer he doesn't necessarily I, I don't know this kind of there's a bit of fun to it you know and i think that works better for him like the ice cream man and those kind of van halen songs as well
1: was this an album that you got when it came out or did you circle back after a while because i didn't listen to this when it came out and i I don't know, Jay, if you, you, were you still listening to it? Uh, David Lee Roth in 91? Uh, or you I, bought,
0: I still own the CD, and I bought it the day it came out.
2: All right. So what about you, Gavin? In,
0: in the lawn box. Exactly. Lawn
2: box. Nice. Um, yeah, I'm exactly the same. Bought it on the day it came out. Still got it. Still listen to it regularly.
1: All right. So I'm going to admit that other than the song A Little Ain't Enough, I had not heard this album until we reviewed it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So yeah. Eat Him and Smile I had heard. Skyscraper, I'd heard I think a lot most of it, but this album f- flew under my radar. So I'm glad we're getting a chance to check it out because it's uh, filling in a gap in my musical history. And I, in the you know Roth versus Hagar, Van Halen debate, uh, although I like both eras, I think I lean more towards the Roth era. Now I think if you'd asked me, you know when when the '90s were going on, I might have said the the Hagar era, but. Um, Now I've sort of turned more towards the the Roth era in uh, my aging. So it's cool to check out some of the solo stuff that I missed from him. I still haven't checked out the one that came out in 94, Your Filthy Little Mouth, or the DLR Band, um, or the there's a couple other ones that are after that. So hopefully I'll get to those eventually. But uh, just a little bit of history so people know about this record. Like I mentioned, the third solo record by David Lee Roth after he left Van Halen. It was released on Warner Brothers. It was produced by Bob Rock. And the guitarist on this album is Jason Becker. Now, previously, uh, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but the previous two records featured Steve Vai on, on guitar and Billy Sheen on bass, right? That was the, yes. the band. Yep. yep. Okay. So Jason Becker plays guitar in this, but um, after joining the band, he was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease or ALS. So he, while he was able to finish recording the album, he wasn't able to tour in support of it. And it um, seemed like that was a bad omen in terms of what was going to happen with this record. Um, afterwards, or after it came out, the video for little late enough got banned by MTV because of some questionable imagery in the video. And then the, um, second video or second single was sensible shoes. But again, it didn't get a lot of airplay due to the video being, um, hey. w- what you would say, w- what is called provocative in the description. <laughs> So there was a little bit of self-sabotage in in that respect. Now, this also came out in January of 91, and we know that by September of 91, uh, Nirvana's Nevermind hit, and that sort of dropped a bomb on the music industry in terms of what acts started to become priorities at record labels and which ones didn't. Let's get into this record. Let's talk about Little Ain't Enough by David Lee Roth. So... Gavin, I want to start with you. In revisiting this record, I don't know how often you, if you listen to it. If you listen to it every week from since you bought it till now, or if this has been something that has been sitting on the shelf for a while and you had to come back to it, um, tell me in listening to this record now uh, something that you like about it.
2: Well, I, I probably listen to it every six months or so whenever I find it, and it generally gets a few spins once it comes out of the box. Um, what do I like about it? I I like the sense of like the, the sense of fun, and it just um. I oh, know it always might always put it on and I'm just happy to get a smile on my face. Uh, there's nothing too technical um, and it's, it's it's a very easy listen for if you have a similar musical bent to myself. Uh, it's yeah, it's it's just a good fun album. Jay, what about your thoughts? What do, what do you like about this record?
0: Um, well, for me, I mean, I'm a, uh, up until this point, right, I'm I'm a huge Van Halen fan. I'm a. Huge David Lee Roth fan, right? Um, so this is the first record where he he starts sounding a little different and trying some different things, but at the same time, you're still getting um, some songs like "Show It's Showtime" um, that are very much in the Van Halen kind of swing boogie kind of uh, high musicianship kind of feel, high energy. Mm-hmm. So you know, going back and listening to it, you can definitely hear. I, I learned much later, actually just relatively recently, that Steve Hunter plays a lot of the guitar on this record. Mm-hmm. Um, so so you can kind of now hear when you go back uh, what songs are Steve Hunter songs and what songs are Jason Becker songs. Right. Um, so something like Tell the Truth is going to be a Steve Hunter song. Sensible Shoes is going to be a Steve Hunter song. Right. Um, uh, and, and I kind of like the – across the record um, – With some time, I'm able to kind of pick apart a little bit better, like the variety it has. I think when it came out, it, it, well, I I recognize things like something like Tell the Truth was a little different direction for Dave. Um, It all kind of blended together at the time. And now kind of going back, I can pull it apart and understand a little bit better what the different influences were and what the different contributions were from different people. It's got some great riffs on it too, um, which Mm -hmm. I don't remember at the time. Um, I think the songs that were different stood out to me at the time, just because they they were so unexpected. Um, But now going back a song like lady luck, which actually was written by Craig Goldie from Dio. (laughs) Uh, And, and it, and when you listen to it, uh, now I was like, holy shit, that's a that's a Bridgie Blackmore riff. That's like a rainbow style guitar riff. I'm like, that's weird for David Lee Roth, you know. And, and it didn't hit me at the time, but now I recognize that and I'm you know listen to a little bit more music. So I look up the credits and Craig Goldie wrote it. And I was like, Well, that makes sense. Okay, well, that's why that sounds that way. Mm-hmm. Um so and, and drop in the bucket is a Jason Becker song, and that's got a monster the verse on that, the, the riff is just amazing, uh, heavy as hell and it's just a great groove. Um, the course of that song is, is not spectacular, but it's interesting. The, you can tell there's some interludes and stuff that were written by somebody who is, um, you know, a pretty proficient guitar player. So I dig that. Um, so yeah, I mean, and I think vocally, this is probably the furthest Dave ever pushed, um, in terms of, you know he's doing all the harmonies here, or most of them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at times he's he's getting in a space that you would hear in a Van Halen song in terms of the backup vocals and stuff. And other times, you know, he he starts to use his lower voice more on this record that you hear later in his career. Yeah. Um. There's some definitely some high stuff. He's, you know, lyrically he's having fun, but also kind of delivering you know some pretty pretty good rock lyrics that are, you know, lots of cultural, historical references, kind of his thing, you know, kind of a a pop culture um, type palette that he uses for lyrics. Um, So I think he's at in in good form vocally. I think he's in good form lyrically. um, And there's some good performances on it.
1: Uh, To follow up your your mention of Stephen Hunter, because that name came up when I was, you know, looking at the credits and stuff. His career is pretty amazing. I mean, he started out in the 70s. Uh, he's worked with Mitch Ryder and then Alice Cooper and then Lou Reed and Aerosmith. And that's all, like, in the 70s. And then he gets into working with Peter Gabriel. He wrote the acoustic picking part at the beginning of Salisbury Hill. Like, everybody knows that riff. Yep. Um, he's, he's He's got a ton of riffs to his credit with all these different bands. And he's known as a great session player, um, collaborator, and the the blues influence in terms of that like very smooth like like you mentioned on "Tell the Truth" and Mm -hmm. "Sensible Shoes." I mean, you can hear that in the in the playing um, on those songs. Now, what's interesting is you know he's he's working with quite a few different people on this record. There's also which what i liked and i and i heard besides the influence of the blues which in a in a different way in which you know there were elements of b- blues or or some type of blues in what he was doing previously but he's also dipping into which we've known because he's done this before into back into like the american songbook i guess you'd say now obviously mm. with you know the, the cover of i ain't got nobody and just a jiggalo that's going back into the 1920s and thirties. This particular record features pull lyrics that are from Preston Sturgis, who was an American, um, screenwriter and director. And they're from movies. I, I didn't research which movies they were from, but in the songs, hammerhead shark and sensible shoes, those are He's like pulled lyrics out from, I guess, Preston Sturgis movies. Mm. So, and he would you know one of the things I admire about David Lee Roth is he has a pretty wide palette of influences that he draws from, mm-hmm. and I think that that's what shifted me into his camp over the years, whereas as when I was younger, I really enjoyed sort of the straight ahead Hagar version of van Halen mm-hmm. but now i now that I can go back and like get a little deeper into Van Halen and hear the wide. Uh, array of influence that they're drawing from, and especially what David Lee Roth draws from, um, it only makes it more interesting. And I don't get that from Hagar. So I think that that's why I find it a little less interesting. But, I mean, you a song like Shoot It, I mean, although it sounds like a, Dave, you know, a David Lee Roth 1980s or 90s song, you could also be like, that could be like something uh, that was from... You know the 1940s or 50s, if you just arranged it differently, Um, there's a great expansive sound that covers so much ground. Um, Also, I would not be surprised if that was part of his Las Vegas show, (laughs) because it seems perfectly attuned to uh, a Las Vegas setting. That sort of song, and obviously songs like "It's Showtime" and some other ones. But then that leads into some stuff that maybe I I didn't love. So, Jay, let me ask you, what were some things that maybe didn't work for you on this record?
0: Um, there's a couple song. Well, well, overall, I think the record's overproduced. Eat 'em and smile to me is is the best David Lee Roth record because it's so raw and the and you just hear incredible musicianship. Mm. Um, and it lets it lets the songs really come through. I think in this record the the overproduction fights with the song sometimes. So you have a hard time even evaluating how good the songs are because there's so much too many guitar overdubs. There's a lot of keyboards and horns and just extra stuff that doesn't age well and really ultimately doesn't need to be there. Um, you know, there's songs like shoot it and last call that sound more like early, just early nineties Aerosmith than our late eighties Aerosmith. Then oh, well, we'll get into last David week, Lee raw, but yeah, David Lee Roth. Um yeah. so that's the only thing I, I think I struggle with the most. Um I just wish the record was produced a little bit um more simple. I mean, you, you've got the talent here, you got Greg Bissonen on drums, you got two great guitar players. Um, you know, you, you've got the talent here to to pull off a straight ahead rock record and um you know, I think especially coming off the skyscraper, which you think about that for a second you know he was replacing billy sheehan's bass with synth bass if you know anything about billy sheehan he's like maybe the greatest bass player on the face of the earth right now
2: Mm -hmm. and and was
0: at the time and to be going back and like replacing his bass parts with a synth bass you're like dude what are you doing (laughs) like (laughs) no so i wish he would have really learned his lesson on that and when he got to this record just said screw it you know we're going back i'm getting a a group of good musicians and we're just going to go get this stuff down and record it but um there's moments where it's close to that and there's a lot of other moments where it's it's just a little too busy
1: gavin what uh in revisiting this record what are the things that bother you or don't
2: work for you look you know honestly there's not a lot that doesn't um bother me about this i feel it um kind of Disagree with Jason there, and I feel like it hasn't aged at all. As in, it's it sounds no more aged now than it did at the time. If you know what I mean, it doesn't. It's, unlike a lot of the albums we, um, that we sort of talk about here, it, it's not identifiably a '90s album. Um, but yeah, I've, I've like I say, I put it on, and um, I'm not as technical as you guys, so I put it on and I just bop along and smile and have a bit of a laugh with him. Um, so yeah, as far as things I don't like. There, is, there isn't really many. I don't like how it um didn't get noticed by anybody.
1: I'll actually agree with you. I like I kind of like the production in terms of I don't think it sounds dated. I think it, it has a pretty clean and crisp sound. I think there's a few times where they use keyboards that I, I it feels a little bit like it's too much, like it's too many layers, and I wish they had backed down a, a little bit. I think, Jay, I wanted to mention Last Call because I don't – know if he was, if anybody called him out on it, or if he was ever approached by Aerosmith, but the vocal melody of Last Call is Aerosmith. I mean, it it is, it's, is it Walk This Way? Because it sounds exactly like an Aerosmith song. And I don't know how it's not, like, I need to A-B them. Because I don't know how he didn't catch that, or if he cared that he did that. But man, is it, uh, (laughs) Like the first time I heard it, I was like looking at it like, is this an Aerosmith cover?
0: I think what's funny is at the time it didn't occur to me at all. I mean I was very much in, into Aerosmith at the time too. So uh but now in hindsight I was like whoa that's that's definitely in the ballpark of Aerosmith. Oh
1: yeah. Oh and, and, yeah. And
0: I'm with you. I mean I I think that you know there's nothing wrong with like the tone of anything on the record. I think it really for me comes down to those extra like keyboard parts and um and if they're horns or not, we're not real horns. A good example is Dogtown Shuffle, which I think is one of the better songs on the record, if not my favorite. Mm-hmm. And when they get to the chorus, there's these like keyboard hits that sound like they from are from uh, Janie's Got a Gun. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it sounds like the same sample sound from that song. And it just doesn't need to be there. It's just one of those things like, ah, song's so great. Get, get rid of that. I don't need that in there. Who
1: produced, Um, that was on, was that on, permanent vacation?
2: Uh, pump. Was that on oh, pump.
1: Yeah. I, I wonder. Bob Rock didn't produce that, did he?
0: No, I think it was John Colander. Maybe. Oh, Colander. I think so.
1: Okay. Yeah, I I, I gotta say I'm, I was surprised. I thought that more was not gonna work for me, but as I, I listened to the record, you you kind of have to either accept the David Lee Roth approach to, you know, innuendo and, um you know, his lyrical approach. And I think the vocals are incredibly strong in this record, so I, I couldn't find anything wrong with them. I mean, it's not like, you know, with like the last Van Halen record where you go, okay, well, I can nitpick some things here and there with this record, but I feel like his, his vocals are really on point on this record. There's a few sort of like goofy things that go on here and there, but then I'm just like, I mean, how can I... I have a hard time like separating David Lee Roth, the showman from David Lee Roth, the like the on record performer. So, yeah. it's, so it's, it becomes almost like, well, if it was anybody else, I probably would be groaning at a lot of this, but a lot of the times it's so ridiculous. And I just smile. Cause I'm like, yeah, he can, he can get away with this.
2: Like not a lot of people can, yeah. but he can. I mean, he's got a
0: good, Gavin.
2: No, I was just agreeing. That's that's exactly it. Yeah, um, for anyone else, it'd be it'd be weird. But for, for Dave, well, he's supposed to be a bit tongue in cheek, and all the rest of it.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's incredibly clever. He, he, you know, I mean, really, the, he's an incredibly intelligent guy. Uh, mm-hmm. For as goofy as he comes off sometimes, like when you actually sit down and read his lyrics, sometimes and and kind of trace back what he's talking about, he's somebody that's fu- li- fully lived life like climb mountains and gone through the amazon and worked as a EMT and now I has you know sheep herding dogs and competes with them <laughs> and lives in Japan and got full body tattoos and i mean it's just like the dude has done everything and it comes through in his lyrics and, you know in only the way that he can so even when he does stuff that's a little you know Double entendre, or whatever it's done, it's just clever enough and with enough of a personality that you're you just have fun with it. It's not like maybe when Warren does it and it's you know kind of gross, (laughs) right? (laughs) Or or some other bands of that era where you're like, uh, hindsight is just a little off putting when he does it, it, it's just coming from a different place. Are you guys familiar with uh, the song Black Velvet by Alana Miles?
2: Yeah, yeah, very.
0: Do you not hear the similarity between that and tell the truth?
2: Uh, <laughs> yeah now that you mention it it's, it's basically otherwise
0: it, i think it's basically the same like bass and drum that almost i mean it even sonically sounds the same and it's the same kind of blues thing and i remember when it came out i kind of noticed it at the time and it was a little bit in denial because <laughs> <laughs> i wanted to like the record so much but
1: well because it's got that like bump 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 yeah It's that, it's that particular rhythm in the bass end of it that, that has the like really close similarity. Yeah. It's like, it's like ice ice baby and under pressure. I mean, it's probably off (laughs) by like one note. I mean, I'm not going to say that Roth doesn't borrow. I mean, there are definitely aspects of in his solo stuff that you can go, okay, well that kind of sounds like a little bit like this, or that kind of sounds like a little bit like that. And, I'm sure that he gets influenced the way a lot of artists do. And, you know, I was surprised. Uh, there's a really good podcast to plug another podcast for people that like podcasts. I assume you're, if you're listening, you like our podcast and you listen to other ones. It's called Song Exploder, where they sit down with an artist and they go through one song and how it was written. And the one with Rivers Cuomo for a yes. song off the last one was really interesting because he basically admits that he starts out by listening to songs. He f- he hears a riff that he really likes, and he just copies the riff onto, like, he plays the riff. He figures out what the riff is, and then he, he plays it into, like, a hard drive. And he's like, "I this is the, you know, E to B flat to D riff that I like. And then he writes a whole new vocal melody
2: over it. Yeah, I've heard that episode. That is, his songwriting is the strangest thing you've ever heard. That's right. um with his notes in the book and everything. That was that was very strange.
1: And he has like spreadsheets where he keeps track mm. like he'll get lyrical ideas and then he'll like categorize the lyrical ideas so that he can then combine them at a future time. I mean that part's pretty wacky. But just the fact that like basically the music comes from him hearing other songs and thinking, I like that guitar, I like that chord progression, I'm gonna steal that chord progression. And maybe I'll you know, change, put a capo on it so it changes the key, but it's essentially the, that's the chord progression just in a different key. Yeah. yeah. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if David Lee Roth hears songs and re like using his amazing sort of, you know, you mentioned like he can just come up with really inventive sort of melodies on top of stuff. If he didn't hear like Black Velvet and go, well, I got a better melody than that. <laughs>
0: Well, and and when you work with, um, so when you work with a band, right, like you are a true band and everything gets interpreted to, through, you know, four or five people in a room playing instruments, some of that can get, um, you know, it can get reinterpreted in a way that it becomes very difficult to ever, you know, figure out where the tie is. When you use studio musicians, which this record uses a lot of, I think... Think you run the risk of that becoming more difficult. In fact, I mean, you can have people, I don't who knows what happened on this record, but you could have somebody come in who basically, like, try to write the Alana Miles song, has the sort of demo of it. Maybe Dave's never even heard it. <laughs> it's like, hey, that's a good song, and next thing you know, you know, they're working on it, and who knows? I mean, he might go through the whole process and come out the other end and realize, like, oh, shit, we just wrote a song that sounds exactly like a hit from two years ago that I never heard. But... <laughs> Um, you know, I think when you got studio musicians, you know, anything can happen. Right. Um, and outside writers.
1: I do think, I, I don't know if it's for the entire album. I think for like, shoot it. That's a, those are real horns. Cause they actually do credit a lot of like, there's like five brass players yep. that are credited on this record. So I think for like that song, he's using, Real musicians, but the, like the one that you mentioned that's later in the album, I think that's definitely a keyboard hit mm-hmm. as opposed to an actual um actual horn performance. The three singles that were released were A Little Ain't Enough, like we mentioned, which actually made it to number three in the mainstream rock tracks um what? Billboard in the United States. Which is not bad, but that's mainstream rock tracks. That's like a sub track you know, a subcategory of billboard 100 or what have you and that the album actually made it number 18 in the billboard 200 which is not terrible but the follow-up singles were sensible shoes and tell the truth which finished at six and then 39 are are those really the two best singles you could you would come up with after a little ain't enough
0: uh the like only sensible you go
2: yeah you go. no go ahead go uh, I, I think Sensible Shoes is probably a good one for it, but I would have thought um, Hammerhead Shark probably gets the, you know, the general public in more than than slowing him down at this point. Um, I don't think people go to David Lee Roth to hear ballads or that, you know, we don't. that's not, and particularly after the, um, after Edom and Smile and that, which were a bit more rock and the Van Halen side of things was, was leaning towards ballads. So I think we kind of relied on Dave for a bit of rock. So um, possibly going that way, might've been better.
0: Yeah, I mean, the only thing I can think of is maybe they were trying to, you know, at this time, you know, Winds of Change is a huge song for the Scorpions, Signs is a huge song for Tesla. Yeah. You know, there's this wholehearted from extreme. There's just like bands of that area holding on to their place, either through a ballad or some kind of like almost like folky mid-rock, mid-tempo kind of thing. Mm Mm-hmm. That's the only thing maybe I could think they were trying to do is, you know, as the record comes out, I mean things are moving fast. I mean, this is the year that Nevermind hits, you know the the world is dramatically changing over the course of that year. Um, so the uh, only thing I can think of is maybe as the record, you know promotion plays out, they try to stay up with the times and go to some of the songs on the record that are maybe slower or have more of a blues influence to try to keep him relevant. As the as the seas are, the uh, seas changing.
1: I guess so. I hear you. I I guess because of the success on um of uh you know just like Paradise and the previous record and and it seemed it just seemed like he's better known as for for singles, um having rock songs be the choice or or being or being slightly campy, which made me think that shoot it should have been the second signal single with like a big video in maybe like not exactly an updated version of California girls, but you know what I mean? Like you got to, he, he instantly took on a persona that embraced sort of goofiness with just a gigolo and California girls and that kind of stuff. So I'm, I seems like they, gradually just kept moving away from that
0: well yeah i mean i I mean look at the if you look at the top 10 rock songs of that year you know the the bands that would be close to him you know queens rake silent acidity um tom petty van halen runaround is a big number eight that year mm -hmm. metallica Enter sandman even i mean the if you just look at that top 10 and then pull out the rock bands uh that you know that that would have been peers. They're all kind of stripping down at that point, even if it's still up-tempo rock songs. Like, you know that Runaround video is pretty simple. You know, it's just those guys performing and right um, and running. You know that, yeah. I mean, they're all wearing jeans at that point, and you know, right. not some ugly shirts on. But the Silent <laughs> City <to> video is <laughs> is super low key, and you know, the bands that are still trying to hang around and be relevant. You know, Metallica's black and white at that point. Like, everybody's toning down and, and trying to be a little more subtle. Um, so that's kind of why I'm thinking maybe that's what they try to do with the singles. But, um, yeah, it wasn't good timing for him. And i got to be honest, I after this record, uh, I lost track of, of Dave a little bit. I mean, not his career, but I didn't really tune into the records um, for quite a while until... Um, well, shit! Until the the Van Halen reunion, I mean, I, I knew what he was doing. We I went and saw him live, but I wasn't listening to any of the new music.
1: Yeah, like I said, I haven't heard. I didn't hear anything, basically, or I haven't heard anything after this record. I did not hear your filthy little mouth, the DLR band, um, the Diamond Dave album, which has that weird <laughs> cover with him in like yep. day glow. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. I, it looks like it looks like a import from the ukraine like it doesn't look like a real (laughs) album yeah
0: that's when dave started producing everything himself
1: (laughs) Yeah, he's putting those weird videos
0: online he like did some like weird video thing with like i don't know it was like several hours long and it had like lots of little people running around and (laughs) him dressed (laughs) like that and it was just psychotic
2: have you heard the dlr band album uh i had both the next two the filthy little mouth and the dlr one um and they kind of i could if i played filthy little mouth now i'd probably sing along to most of the songs without necessarily being able to name them and by the dlr one i've kind of dropped off a fair bit at that point
0: I, i i haven't spent time with either of them i always hear great things about the dlr out band album because john five plays guitar on that and right I don't know. I, I keep meaning to go back and spend time with it, but everything I always hear is that it's the closest to Eat 'em and Smile that he ever got. But it just, I haven't made it a priority to go back and listen to it.
1: Gotcha. Well, I haven't heard them, so I have no idea what that, they sound like. I did, however, today listen to the Spanish language version of Eat 'em and Smile, uh, which is spectacular. Right. Uh, I wish more bands did that. I'm not surprised that David Lee Roth is the only one that I know of that's done that. Um, in terms of, I, I artists have done uh, songs, but to do an entire album and commit to it the way that he does is uh, it's insane. I mean, that's that's all I can say. It's just insane. Um, Tell me,
2: on that version, does um does Steve Vai make the guitar speak Spanish? <laughs>
0: Uh it kind of sounds that way a little bit. It's, you could it's bilingual. It's a bilingual guitar. But Dave does do.
1: you know, he speaks Spanish back to the guitar. He does. Como. <laughs> That's when I like when he said that I was like, "Oh yeah, we're in for a ride." Yeah. He, there ain't no screwing around with this one. Um all right, so let's talk about our overall ratings. For a little ain't enough. Is this a worthy album? Would it make a better EP, or is it just a decent single? Gavin, I'm going to start with you. This is your suggestion: worthy album, better EP, or decent single? Where do you land?
2: Um, I'd suggest it's probably going to be pretty obvious what my answer is, but um, I think it's a worthy album. I think it, um, like I said, I think it holds up. I think it, it, it all fits together for me. Um and it's a a perfect little package of of a sort of fun, bluesy kind of rock from from that era, but not even necessarily from that era. It's not too serious, um, but the playing is still really good. Like you said, the vocals are still really good. makes you smile. Um, I like it exactly how it is.
1: Jay, where the album better EP, decent single, where do you land?
0: Well, I'm going to give you a long answer.
1: Okay. Um, Settle in, everybody.
0: So when I got the record, this was one of those where – you know, not making much money at the time I'm in high school, so you really want to like the records <laughs> that you buy. It wasn't like on you just spin up Spotify and say, yeah, this kind of sucks, I'm going to move on. It was, no, I, I worked hard for this money, I paid for it, I now own it, we're going to like it. So, um, you know, I listened to it a ton at the time. Um, thinking about it going back, I didn't expect to like it a, very much. Um, I liked it more than I thought I would on the revisit. Um, I think the songs that I liked then were the ones that were different. Like I said, so tell the truth, sensible shoes, uh, etc. The ones I like now are, you know, the rockers that are more on the, um, I think the heavier or just you know straightforward side. I think there's some good stuff in here that I had just had overlooked and forgotten about so on that i'm gonna give it a worthy album because i think there's a good mix i think it shows dave stretching i think there's some great performances and it's probably uh the second best solo record that he did
1: so you put this after Eatem and smile and ahead of just uh of uh skyscraper yes okay interesting I'm going to agree with you two gentlemen. I think this is a worthy album. I think this, for me, this was a really pleasant surprise. I was, I was worried going in like, oh, is this where he starts to like go cuckoo? Uh, (laughs) but.
0: (laughs) Cuckoo? Who says that?
1: (laughs) You know, with, uh, like you mentioned earlier with the weird videos and. Yeah. 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 That kind of stuff. So, Uh, um. I do want to check out the videos for a little ain't enough and, and sensible shoes since they were so, so uh, controversial.
0: The little ain't enough video is pretty awesome. It's him just tearing ass around town in a monster truck <laughs> <laughs> with lots of girls hanging off of it. Oh, okay. It, it's pretty spectacular.
1: So I want to check that out. And I, I think this is a worthy record. I think if you're already a Van Halen and a David Lee Roth fan, it, it shouldn't come as a surprise that this is a worthy record I think if you are one of those people that like kind of likes Van Halen, but you're not like obsessive about them and maybe you've heard some of the David Lee Roth singles, but you never really invested in this in the full albums. I think this would be worth checking out. I think it kind of touches on everything he does well. And it's so, he's so entertaining that it's just, it's hard to find fault with his enthusiasm for music and for, for performance and, think that's ultimately what wins me over is just david lee roth the the showman is what really carries the load at the end of the day so it's a it's a uh agreement all across the board a worthy album for a little ain't enough gavin thank you for suggesting this record and uh this is the um no we don't get to do uh artists twice i guess when we did the Van Halen episode, we only briefly touched on Dave because he was only really involved in uh, a couple songs in the '90s. So, but it's it's nice to be able to go back and and kind of revisit the other side of that a little bit. So, thank you.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, two two things there too. Um, I think you've just come up with the correct name for a, a best of album if you ever has it, David Lee Roth, the Showman. Um, and well done for, again, managing to get Weezer into the any review of an album from the 90s. Again, proving that they must be the most influential band of the 90s. <laughs> I'm
1: beginning to think mm-hmm. so.
2: I'm beginning to think that
1: Weezer will outlive us all.
0: I, I think yes. maybe, maybe we have to have a roundtable on that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Weezer might be well, to the 90s perfect. what Kiss is to uh, the 70s. I don't know. I'm not sure.
0: Wow. That's sure. a ha- that's a heavy topic.
1: Yeah, maybe we'll do that when we do our kiss roundtable. We'll we'll make it a kiss <laughs> slash Weezer
2: roundtable. Right, Keezer. There we go. Oh, you get get have a roundtable between. Um...
0: No, not Keezer. Call it Wiss.
2: <laughs> Wiss. <laughs> <laughs> uh.
1: Wizzer? Weezer. Whiz- okay. Never mind. <laughs> um, want to remind everybody uh patreon is the place to go to become a subscriber gavin is a subscriber he's also won all of our contests previous so he has numerous reviews every year going forward so he will be uh for the foreseeable future suggesting more interesting and cool albums such as this one what were the other albums that you suggested this year my mind is blanking at the Um. moment.
2: I did uh, 28 days which you didn't like um,
1: oh that's right what was
2: the other one um, we had the we had the baby animals this year which I think you did like um, yep Yep. Um, they actually played last night here with the screaming jets um, and I can't, now that um, record I like yeah yeah well that was yeah I, I missed that actual concert which is annoying but um yeah but I've seen those two as a combination before um yeah I can't remember the third one <laughs> There's too
1: many even for me. <laughs> we're gonna have to uh, give you your own page on the website that's just oh, keeps track of your Oh, we are. oh yeah. <laughs> when we're, re- we're
0: we're working on a new website, and every guest we have will have a their own page with a bio and <laughs> all the episodes that you've uh, requested and been on. So
1: wow, Gavin's <laughs> yeah. is gonna be long. <laughs> Ratcat was the other one. That's that was ah uh, cool.
0: yeah yeah yeah.
1: Ratcat, that's right. Oh my god! I, like I hear that, and I go, wasn't that two years ago? Nope, that was just a couple <laughs> yeah. months ago. Yep. Uh, and I want to remind everybody: Patreon is the website, patreon.com forward slash dig me out. Two fifty to join us at the twelve month review uh, version of the donation process. One dollar gets you the behind the scenes access. And also, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive. Feedback at iTunes. Everybody, let's let's thank Gavin for stopping mid-trip wherever he is in his car and uh, doing this review with us. Everybody give a little
2: <laughs> applause there
1: for, for doing that. He was driving like 700 miles an hour at, you know, <laughs> according to my calculations, between kilometers and meters and mileage. And it's
0: that's, like, that's like dangerous to do in Australia, right? With all the like snakes and... Yeah. Dangerous creatures. <laughs> yeah. And, you don't ever want to stop the car. Speed
2: cameras. And the uh,
1: <laughs> the uh, humongous Thanks. out there roving the roaming the outback for, <laughs> for the petrol. Uh, it's the drop is
2: always worry about the drop is. <laughs>
1: um, at some point, we'll get you on and we'll just run the Mad Max theory series all the way through. And you, can, <laughs> you can tell us about its accuracies and its inaccuracies and its portrayal of Australia. <laughs>
0: Um, post apocalyptic <laughs> australia
2: yeah we've, we've never had tina turner run the country at this stage
0: <laughs> you know at this hey, point yeah that would actually not be a bad idea that's <laughs> based on what we've seen over here it's entirely
1: possible a... that tina turner might be the uh leader of australia
0: <laughs> and there might be a real thunderdome
1: yeah
2: so <laughs> oh we've got a thunderdome <laughs> sweet there you go. Our NASCAR track is called the Thunderdome. Oh shit! There you go. They have NASCAR down there? Uh, not anymore. We used it. We had it for a while.
1: Oh okay. It did it not connect with uh, folks down there? Was it not successful?
2: Well, I think we've got enough racing series, if you know what I mean, to bring it to have to go and build a whole other kind of car that you can't really use for anything else, um, where well, we already had V8 sedans that race anyway. Um, plus we only had the one oval do the
0: uh, do do those races do they turn in another direction than left
2: No, our, our NASCAR was the same as yours and then it was <laughs> supported by a, th- something we invented called Ozcar, which was Australian cars slightly slower than NASCAR's going in the opposite direction
0: okay <laughs> at the same time
2: <laughs> that would be,
0: be awesome <laughs>
1: <laughs> on the same track <laughs> just running into each other head on for like 10 minutes and then all the cars would be wrecked. That would be hilarious. <laughs> um, Gavin, thanks again for joining us. It's always that a pleasure was. to have you on the show. And thanks everybody for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out.
0: Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash Out and become a monthly subscriber or request a review at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages, as well as our merchandise store at zazzle.com.